Is the mic on? Episode 95, What's Wrong with Orny Adams? I'll tell you what's right. I got to make my own coffee this morning at home. That's my, my favorite thing to do. You travel as much as I do. It's like the little the little things. I, I appreciate it. I was in Atlanta, Georgia uh, last weekend doing a Teen Wolf convention. And this hotel got a lot of nerve. I'll start with this. Uh, a, a bagel was eight fifty. A bagel and cream cheese. The coffee was five something. We're at or six something. We're at fifteen dollars for a bagel, and this is the only options really in the lobby. There's nowhere you can walk to. But here's what happened. I go downstairs the first day, and the woman's wearing gloves. You know these yeah. these gloves that people think is more sanitary. It's less sanitary because you don't wash your hands anymore. Like if if you were handling things and you felt like your hands were dirty, you'd wash them. But when you have the gloves, you never wash. So they just stay on. So I'm observing the behavior. I watch her ring in my uh, uh, $35 bagel and cream cheese and coffee. And then she takes my money. I'm paying in cash. And I watch her then proceed to cut my bagel with the same gloves that she didn't... She didn't change them. You're supposed to change it. Supposed to ring it in, take the cash, change the gloves. Now put on food gloves. So I'm thinking, how long have these been these gloves been on for? So I take the bagel and cream cheese and, and the coffee, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to eat this. I'm just, I'm, I'm too weirded out. And I come back because I forgot to put something. Uh, I needed like a little extra sugar in my coffee. I come back. She's got the same gloves on, and now she's moving the mop bucket. And mopping the floor with the gloves. <laughs> you know what I did? I went over to the hotel buffet. I I left my bagel there. I put in a fresh bagel, which I'm sure was touched by glove bucket woman prior to this, but I don't know that, so I'm going to eat it. I made my own bagel at the buffet. I didn't tell anybody, and then I just walked out. People looked at me like, who's, who's the bagel guy? Who just stole, stole a bagel? That's what's wrong with the world. That's what's wrong with traveling. My guest today, I'm excited to have you on. I've heard a lot about you. You say we met in, in Aspen. Uh, I, just, I remember seeing you walking away, and uh, I, I remember watching that documentary, but I didn't want to bother you because you had a bunch of fans talking to you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big deal. Yeah. I'm a big deal. <laughs> yes. My guest today, uh, Yoshi, I'm not even going to try and say Oyashi, but Yeah, Oyashi. There you go. Yeah, yeah. See? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. My guest, do you really believe your father was murdered? Um, I <sighs> Hold on. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with Orny Adams? Episode <laughs> 95. Coming coming at you Orny recording from Big Yellow Rubber Gloves. Goodbye. My guest today is Yoshi Abayashi. Obayashi. Abayashi. Yeah. Originally from Japan. Your story is so, I'm bringing this down. Your story is so remarkable. It it makes me a skeptic. Uh, because it was it's so weird or? Uh... It's just so remarkable that, and we'll go over it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll start here. As a child, you grew up in Osaka, Japan, right? Right. And your father, instead of bedtime stories, would tell you about murders sexual assault cases and uh, things that happened like cannibalism and starvation in World War II. Yeah. And, um, well, first of all... I think that I, I think creates that, an interesting beginning for us. Yeah. I think part of the reason my dad was that, that way, uh, we're ethnically Korean growing up in Japan. So um, we're, we are what we call um, Zainichi Koreans. 
Uh, and uh, I think when you're outside or living in Japan, you're treated differently. You you have to have a bit of a sense of humor and morbid way of looking at things. You know, I think it's um, the way I. Who I looks down on who? What? The Japanese look down on the Koreans, or do the Koreans look down on the Japanese? Uh, Japanese. I mean, not you know, things are a lot better now, but um, it's a long, complicated history. But Japan was uh, Japan occupied South Korean Peninsula after uh, Russo-Japanese War in 1905, hmm. and so the Russians and Japanese were fighting over the Korean Peninsula. So what was interesting: Japanese sneak attack and and, and destroy Port Arthur, which is a, a port for Russians. And at the time, Teddy Roosevelt, president, thought this was such a brilliant move. Uh -huh. Of course, years later, when Japanese attacked the United States, we didn't think that was brilliant. Right, right. Um, but, how, how old were you when you left Japan? You immigrated to the United States or did you go somewhere else first? Um, USA. I didn't. First of all, I didn't know I, w I was immigrating to the States. My, my mother basically kidnapped myself and my younger brother. So she told us. And in March 13th, 1980, that we're flying from Osaka, Japan to Tokyo. Uh -huh. And I was trying to figure out, like, why are we flying over? We, we could just take bullet train. Well, when we woke up next day, we're in Hawaii. And that's when my mom told us that uh, she and my dad were divorced. And that's how we found out. Okay, let's, okay. this, yeah. this story just gets weirder yeah, yeah. and weirder. And less believable, your dad took you to Ted Bundy's childhood home in the summer of 1979. So you must have reconnected with your father. You immigrated to the U.S. on March 13, 1980. John Wayne Gacy was found guilty uh, that day. Yeah. Okay. You moved to L.A. the summer of 1985, landing in Long Beach. What are you, uh, on the night that either the second or third Asian person was murdered by Richard Ramirez... You attended, you're definitely obsessed with murder. Yeah. Right? You suspect your father was murdered, which we'll talk about in a sure. second. Uh, and we'll get into all this stuff. You attended Giselle Maxwell, uh, Ghislaine. Is it Ghislaine? Ghislaine, I, I believe so. Ghislaine Maxwell's murder, uh, uh, verdict and sentencing. You attended Elizabeth Holmes's sentencing. Yeah. You attended the Danny Masterson, Harvey Weinstein cases. And just two weeks ago, we were texting, you were at Sam Bankman Freed's. I went to the, uh, not last Thursday, but one before that. Yeah. Why are you so obsessed with crime and murder? Um, well, I think, you know, some kids have a connection with their dads playing baseball or maybe mo watching movies, but um, that's something what my dad was uh, interested in. And so it's, it's one of the few intimate things I used to do with my dad. But let's be honest, murder is also one of the most intimate thing you could do to someone. You know, and uh, is it intimate when somebody like a mass shooting? Do you believe that's intimate? I I think it's more intimate when you're strangling somebody, like um, some of the big serial killers that have been covered in the states. You know, right? Um, but I th I think I think my dad had a morbid sense of humor because you kind of have to when you're ethnically Korean growing up in Japan. Um, things are so bad for them. But, you know, not, well, why are you in Japan? Why didn't you stay in Korea? Why didn't your father stay in Korea or your family? My dad was born in Japan. Um, and uh, I was born in Japan, but when my parents got divorced, my mom kidnapped myself and my younger brother in 1980. So not, summer of 79, six months before we were kidnapped, or eight months, my grandmother was dying from cancer in Washington State. So, um, of course, you know, they would never tell my grandmother she was dying from cancer because that's a typical Asian thing. They would never tell their grandparents that they were dying. Wasn't your grandmother like at the hospital with the doctor? Wouldn't the doctor tell her? She doesn't speak English and they would never, Asian people would never. Why is that? that? What does that mean? Because I don't get that. I've never heard that. 
um, this is very common among Asian people that the, because you you disturb them, you you'll make them unhappy. So family make a family decision for you, their grandparents. But wouldn't you like to know why you're throwing up blood? Yeah, you, you, but yes, but um, there's a lot of group thinking among Asian people. You know, they think telling our grandmother or grandfather that they're dying from cancer would be very upsetting to them. So they make the decision for them. You know. Huh. So I I think um, we were here the summer of '79. I think second or third day in Tacoma, Washington. It's my mother's side of family. We were dealing with my grandmother's cancer. So my dad, when he had a, like a, a day when he when he was free, he he took myself, got a taxi, and we drove to I believe Ted Bundy's childhood home. So there's like two or three buildings in Tacoma, Washington. There, uncle's house, uh, his mother's house, and grandmother. Uh, 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 he stayed with his grandmother, I believe, didn't he? Bundy, maybe that was in Philadelphia. Um, area. you're right because. His mother got pregnant. She flew into New Hampshire, gave birth because it was a shameful thing to have a child uh, without uh, being married. And when she returned, I believe she pretended like she was Ted Bunny's uh, older sister or aunt. And I think her mother pretended like Ted Bunny's mother. I can't remember, but he never understood who was who, who was his mother and aunt. Really? Know? Yeah. It's very similar to Jack Nicholson's situation too. His his. His aunt was actually his mom, if I remember right. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of shameful things. Okay. Given. All right. Let's let's start from you. Let's go. Just go back here. Yeah. You're you're in Japan. Yeah. You're you're Korean, but you're living in Japan. Yeah. Your mom kidnaps you at age what? Uh, ten. Ten. Have you ever been back to Japan? Yes. Uh, early ninety, and then um, two thousand three, and I finally returned eight months ago. Seven months ago, first time in 19 and a half years. And do you, after you're kidnapped, any communication with your father? No, not really. Because they, that, um, my cousin and relative told me that uh, my dad didn't want us. And uh, that's why they brought it. But I didn't realize until five years later that was a lie. Yeah. Asian people just lie. You know, yeah, what's going on here? That the parents lie all the time, you know? <laughs> really? I, I think anything that is embarrassing, they'd rather lie and, and, and prevent that knowledge to spread you know yeah are you sure that's really your dad what do you mean well i mean if jack nicholson finds out later that biologically that's not his mother it's his aunt or something like maybe that wasn't your dad oh no that was my dad that was yeah yeah but somehow you reconnected with him in america because he took you to ted bundy's house uh no 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 that was summer before i was kidnapped so he took me to Ted Bunny's house in 1979. I was kidnapped in 1980. So were you kidnapped from America or Japan? From Japan and, and, and flew into the United States in 1980. So summer of 79, we were visiting USA for like a month because okay. my grandmother was dying. Okay. And when I returned to Japan, I think uh, seven, eight months later, my mother kidnapped myself okay. and my younger brother after her mom passed away. See, once her mom passed away, she knew that she could just leave. Okay, because she was telling her like, "Don't don't get divorced, stay with your husband." But once she passed away, right, she basically had permission to leave. Okay, and then how long after that did your father die? And did he fi- die in Japan? He died in in summer of two thousand three. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, at the time, I was uh, thirty four. Okay, and was it in Japan or the U.S.? Uh, he died in Japan. So. Um, 
So January of 2003, I reconnect. Uh, I, I went to see my dad again, you know, like 1990, 91, 92. And then I didn't see my dad for like 10 years, 10, 12 years. And in 2003, um, I flew back because the whole time my stepmother was having an affair with somebody else and took advantage of my dad. So my dad was left with tons of debt and uh, he didn't know how to deal with the whole situation. And uh, I was really angry with him because he tolerate people, treat him bad, you know? You have to stand up for yourself, you know? Yeah. And looking back, I was really wrong because some people are not able to defend themselves, you know, the reality is. I, on the other hand, is just like my mother. And my mother is a very violent person. So I... Um, how so? Well, I talked about it, Joe Robinson, but I don't mind because, you know, you don't know, so it's probably... So uh, when my dad died, um, August of 2003, I got an email from my cousin. He just wrote two letters, two words in my email, Papa dead. That's how they notify him the fact that my dad died. And um, they found my dad's body and um, he, he was hanging from tr ceiling for like so long that he looked like one of the marble character. Um, what's that? Oh my God. Um, I don't watch cartoons. It's one of the characters. It's, it's completely dark. Yeah. Yeah. So he was so dark from uh, decomposing and uh, summer in Japan is really relentless and hot and humid. So anyway, when I got there, we couldn't f figure out if this was a uh, suicide or murder, you know, because um, one of my cousin's wife, her brother is like Korean version of C FBI. And my stepmother claimed the whole time she was in Korea. But we find out the last time they saw my uh, dad alive, that same night, my uh, stepmother and her family flew in from Korea to Japan. Now, it could be circumstantial, but um, she did all kinds of terrible things. Either led him to commit suicide or she has something to do with the murder. Yeah. And unfortunately, in Japan, they don't do autopsy unless the family asks for it. And she didn't ask for that. Huh. And did well, you, it, why would she if yeah, she, she was involved? Yeah. yeah. And um, I, you, I'm just thinking because somebody in another Asian com uh, country confided in me in the last week. And it sounds like such a similar story. Oh, is that and right? They can't get the answers. Yeah, there's a uh, corruption, and it's who bribes who yeah. in order to uh, the the death certificate or the result of the autopsy can be determined by payment. So I, my mind drifted for a second yeah. because I thought this I've heard this before, and she had him cremated right away. Yeah, Never and a good um, sign. there's a great show on HBO called Tokyo Vice, mm -hmm. and um, a guy who wrote those stories that based on the show is a guy named um, Jake Adelstein. And he is uh, American, I think from Missouri. He went to Japan like 30 years ago. I think he went there originally for like anime and karate or whatever. Yeah. But that's why we all go. But he went, he, he realized he had an aptitude in Japanese. And he was the first non-Japanese to get a job at uh, one of the prestigious newspaper covering crimes. Hence, um, there was some big criminal case that he wrote a book about it, became Tokyo Vice, which became a TV show. Right. The reason I'm mentioning it to him, I tweeted to him one time and saying, you know, here's my dad's circumstance. I think a lot of times when somebody murders someone in Japan, they make it look like it's a suicide and, and the police do not do any sort of like uh, investigation or autopsy. Right. And he said, like, unfortunately, that's uh, there's a lot of truth in that. So had you had any any communication with him prior to this? I, 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 I saw him in January 
And um, I didn't understand. When, when was the death? Uh, that the, uh, well, we, f- we found his body in August of 2003. And then last time I saw him, January 2003. So within that seven months, something happened to him. But my dad, um, you know, it's humiliating. You know, my stepmother would say stuff like, hey, my cousin's going to be visiting me and uh, staying with us for a couple months. And we find out later on that wasn't her uh, cousin. It was her lover. So while my dad was working, she was fucking the guy at the house and everything. Wow. So she did all kinds of stuff like that. And um, how was she violent? Oh, no, no. Uh, my mother's violent. Yeah. How was your mother violent? Well, uh, she used to hit us whenever we do small. My dad never hit us. You know, he yeah. was very gentle. And um, at the funeral, I ended up. Um, so we went to funeral and. Um, my it's the middle of nowhere it's like the, the cemetery is some mountainous area you know and uh, the whole family was there and my aunt and I we took all our servings you know you have to present it to the dead and we went out to uh, three level of steps to, uh, like really higher up in mountain to my dad's cemetery and I saw my stepmother and of course my aunt said terrible things and like you fucking kill my brother and as soon as she left I was so shocked that uh, my stepmother by herself, because she doesn't know my reputation. So I ended up, um, I didn't plan to do it, but I ended up beating her up to the point where I almost killed her. And I stopped beating her when I heard uh, somebody working at the cemetery scream, because I blacked out. I I, I was literally beating her up. And um, after that, I just ran out of there. And I assaulted my stepmother's nephew, sister, and brother-in-law. And then I, I took off and, uh, um, and you did this because you suspected she murdered either she, she, either she murdered my dad or, um, did so many terrible things to let him to commit suicide. Yeah. So best, and, sc- and let me best scenario, he killed himself. The worst scenario that she killed him. And do you have any qualms or apprehensions about admitting that you beat up a woman? Does that no. concern you? No. And why, why is that? Um, because it made me, you know, I got that uncomfortable feeling. And I, yeah. I I think maybe that's just uh, growing up in, in, in Japan and Asia. But I think, um, I don't know, my, my couple of my friends said maybe that's my Korean blood or whatever, you know. But uh, that... That's why they don't want you in Japan. The whole whole um, revenge culture, you know. I think yeah. some culture are famous for that, you know. Like Italians are like kind of famous for that, you know. So would it be looked down upon in Japanese culture that you beat up your stepmom or is that part of the revenge culture? I don't think that's a kind of look up to. I don't think Japanese like that, but I think it's interesting. Most of my Korean friends are said that they would have done the same thing. But yeah, it, it's I didn't really want to talk about that, you know, but um when I was on Joe Rogan's pod, I, I he says, is it okay to bring up? I'm like, sure. And and uh, I brought it up. You know what's interesting? I was really worried the backlash against saying that in 2012. But I don't remember the vast majority of the emails I got after that pod in 2012. They would tell me things like, similar thing happened with my mother with my stepfather. Or similar thing happened with my dad with his stepmother. And I got emails from all over the world. Like, I, they wish they could do the same thing. Mm. Where, but only reason I, I technically got away, because I did that in another country. I don't live there anymore. Yeah. You know, If I did something like that here, I'd be serving quite a long time, because I assaulted four people, you know. Right. 
And uh, do you worry about retribution or them revenging you? Um, I wasn't really worried, but I'm I'm surprised they never did anything. And you know what happened? Years later, I have cousin, a second, is a third cousin. I have a relative in in Tokyo, and their distant relative somehow that side of the family know my stepmother, and. I got a message from them like three, four years ago. They said that they understand why I did it, but they like to um, move on. And they said uh, they forgive me. Oh. And um, um, but I told them well, first of all, they're in no position to forgive me because I'm not asking for. Uh, I'm not going to apologize. And uh, um, and I think. The part that surprised me that uh, they were more afraid of me than trying to do something to me. You know, mm. we was it uncontrollable rage? Like you blacked out? Were you conscious? Was this sort of like I'm gonna hit you now and hit you now and hit you now? Were you, could you have stopped yourself? Would would you have beaten one of them to death if you could have? I I, I was a little surprised myself because flying back. I was really angry. I mean, I was angry with her, but I was also angry with my dad allowing her to treat him like that. Because the more you let somebody treat like that, it, it, it escalates to the point where they keep doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, you know? So was there shame? Yeah, sure. That your dad allowed that? Yes. I don't I don't really like that, you know? And um, here's another thing um, you might find interesting. So in Japan, we have a thing called Ijime, I-J-I-M-E. So it's a um, really malignant form of uh, bullying, like picking on kids. And in Japan, you don't want to be different from everyone. You want you have to be like everyone else, right? So if you stick out, the group feel like they need to pick on you to the point you change to be like everyone else. Wow. Unfortunately, these things get to the point where, uh, like for example, in Japan, uh, first week of September is the most dangerous time for kids. Because a lot of kids kill themselves. They don't want to go back to school. And uh, if they act different, they look different, um, they feel like they get attacked. Things are even worse now. Unlike when I was a kid, if you're getting picked on, Ijime, you could confront those kids and fight them eventually to the point where they'll stop beating you up. Right. It's worse now because even if you decide not to go to school, because social media, they could attack you. Right. Even when you're at the comfort of home, that's something I never have to deal with when I was a kid. You know? Right. In, in fact, I'm going to talk about that at the end. I actually have an article that I wanted to discuss yeah, yeah. with you that was in the New York Times. And we're going to d- discuss uh, Sam Bankman-Free. But I, I'm fascinated by yeah. your openness and what you've been through. Because I, I'll be honest with you, when you sent all this yeah. information ahead of time, I said, this can't be real. But I, I'm looking at you. You know, you're two feet away from yeah. me. I'm praying that you don't punch me. And I have a tar- high tolerance, like when p- people are misbehaving and stuff. It just, but I can any, s- any, anything to do with your families and friends, you're very sensitive about that. You yeah. Know? And um, I didn't, it's, it's really difficult to reconcile because, on one hand, I'm mad at my dad for treating, letting people treat you, treat him like that. But years later, I, le- I realized not everyone is able to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's hard for me to admit. Is and I don't know any of the circumstances, but yeah. is it possible that your father did kill himself, but you want to believe that he was murdered, so it takes away some of the shame? 
I, I think there's some truth in that. Yeah. I mean, do I know for sure? No, I, I really don't. Um, what is fact is that uh, my, um, you know, remember I was telling you, like, they wouldn't tell my grand grandmother that she's dying of cancer. Some of my family members would never tell me this these things that were going on until right. he passed away. They finally told me the truth. But those information really doesn't help me when he's dead, you know. Yeah. And uh, now maybe I was frustrated my father was dead and she was treating him terrible. And I'll, I'll be also honest, when I met her first couple of times, she was very polite. But after a while, she'll make these snide comments. Like, I didn't really like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who the hell you think you are talking to me that way. But my dad should have said something to her. But he's pretty weak when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know. And um, why do you use the word weak? Like maybe it's he wants to avoid conflict or who knows what. Maybe it didn't bother him as much. Um, I, I just think maybe I, there's I, a, a way to reframe it and rethink it. So I, I think you're right. I think that might be more Japanese thing because Japanese do not like conflicts at all. But I grew up here, you know. And uh, it, 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 do you do you know Bill Parcell? The yeah, football of course. Coach? I'm, from, I'm from New England. Okay. Yeah, I'm from Boston. We discussed that before. Yeah. I love Bill Parcell because he said um, he said com- confrontation is wonderful because it cleared the air. Mm-hmm. When you confront people and tell them if they have an issue with you. That everybody knows that there's a problem. Then once you clear the air by saying there's a problem, then you got to figure out how to resolve this. Uh, Asian people, especially Japanese, won't do that, you know. And I think maybe I brought a little bit of that confrontational stuff back to Japan. But what I know, and uh, my stepmother was very abusive, and nobody told me for, for years until it was right. a little too late, you know. Um, well, you're fascinated by crime. So you understand there's yeah. that Svengali... Uh, theory or you fall in love with your captor like i mean you look at cults yeah these Stockholm people are being, syndrome and yeah, like Stockholm that, yeah. Syndrome, they're being abused yeah they're being controlled so it's, that's that is very much possible yeah I'm, I'm not saying my dad was perfect but my dad was gentle i think he was a little trusting of people and i think um i mean if you think about it yeah and I don't, I don't want, I, you know, I'm not trying to bum you out. And I can see in your face, yeah, like, yeah. this is all I mean, still I mean, very I thought painful. about it so many different scenarios, but. Um, but your mom kidnapping you. Yeah. Is a form of abuse against your father. What, right? Yes. Yeah. It. Like, why, why did he allow that? Or why, I understand you were kidnapped, but think about that. I thought about that one, and uh, that's a really good question. I think I'm saying this first time. Um, I was wondering, like, first couple years, why didn't he um, fly in and get us, you know? But um, he just never had it in him. I, I, f- I forgot to tell you, when I was second and third grade, my mother left my dad. So one day, she got all, all her stuff and me and my younger brother away from home, and I didn't live with my dad for, like, a year and a half. So that has happened before. So yeah. this is like really when we moved to states, it was second time around when my my mother did it. But um, yeah, you know they they got married. I think my mother probably was kind of forced to marry. Mm-hmm. And um, you know I don't want to say one person was uh, more right than other because when people marry, all kinds of things happen that you don't know. Right, of you, you you really don't know. Yeah. But I think. 
I think both of my parents were not doing very well, and they were doing so poorly that uh, I don't think they could think about what was best for their kids, you know? So. Yeah. Did you ever have the opportunity to ask your dad, did you, how you felt when we were kidnapped? Did you want nothing to do with us? Oh, yeah, I, I did talk to him, but my dad's not very talkative. He, he kind of keep it to himself, but yeah, he was devastated, you know? Um I think he knew because a couple months before my mother kidnapped, he returned to apartment. He just broke down and he wouldn't tell me why, but he, I think he knew that something was up and they wouldn't tell me, you know, and when, when we landed in Hawaii in 19, you know, March of 1980, um, you're how old then? 10. And that's when, um, my, uh, mother told me that they were divorced. See, there was a period when, when my mom kid, uh, took us away from my dad from third, second and third grade, and when we reconnected again, I was so hopeful that maybe a thing was resolved, everything's go back to normal. Yeah. But when my grandmother passed away, that's when my mom took myself and my younger brother. To right, state. you said that before, and also what I think is interesting yeah. is the use of the word kidnapping. Yeah, like you just said took us away yeah that's a softening of the oh, yeah yeah but you believe I mean, you were kidnapped I, I i didn't use the word kidnapped in a long time but when when i tell my friends like um did your dad did did your mom notify your dad that that, that they're t- bringing you and your brother over here like no so I'm, I'm assuming that's the proper definition yeah probably legally do you resent your mom I, I think if you were to ask me 20 years ago, yeah, but I think last 10 years, I think I learned a lot about mental illness and I, I was really wrong about a lot of things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm still wrong about a lot of things, but, <laughs> but, um, they just never, you just Asian folks do not talk about this stuff at all. You know, um, even the Americanized, that's, Asian. I think that's a little different, but in Japan, if you say you have cancer, nobody's going to feel bad for you. But if you say your mother have a schizophrenia or something, the shame is so profound. Um, and that's why suicide is very, very high in Japan. And it's almost seemed acceptable form uh, of dealing with your mental illness, you know. Hmm. I, think, um, I think that's why I used to do a podcast with a guy named David Cho. He's a very famous um, street artist. Yeah. And... Um, He's a very controversial guy. He, he got canceled multiple times last 10, 12 years. I think the reason why so many people like DVD essay and KGB podcasts like 11, 12 years ago, we were just, it was just so raw conversation. Yeah. We were talking about our problems. And I think it was really shocking to Asian and uh, Asian Americans and Asians overseas. Um, I got even recognized by Asian folks in Frankfurt, Germany, because nobody really talked about that stuff at the level we were talking Oh, I, most Americans aren't comfortable talking about it yeah. at that level. And uh, I mean, I ended up doing stand-up, but, you know, I think when I started, actually, I was doing a lot of Toastmaster and public speech. Yeah. And the stuff I was talking made people uncomfortable. <laughs> I can see that. And what and, were you talking about? Um, Just like... Mm, my aunt married a uh, Norwegian-American uh, person, and he, he, 
used to be a lawyer. I used to do his paperwork and deliver like uh, divorce paper and things like that. And I remember reading, I wasn't supposed to, but I got bored. I will sometimes read his files. Yeah. I will only read like rape cases or murders and things like that. And uh, when you see those clients walk into the office, like, oh my God, this guy allegedly raped somebody or murdered someone, you know? Yeah. And I think, I guess I was really attracted to those darkness. So I will talk about things that happened during World War II or some of the murder cases and things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I think you want to protect kids, not talk about these things, but gradually when they get older, you kind of have to expose a little bit of that so you could prepare them for the world, yeah. the way the world really, really is. is. You, don't yeah. want, you don't want to scare them, but you want to teach enough street smart, you know? But, but, but I think I, some, I went overboard during public speaking class. You know, they're really uncomfortable. Yeah. So when I, I could, I could see that. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that people look at you and think, I bet he's murdered somebody? Sometimes people say stuff like that. Yeah. But I think Oscar Wilde said that then if you want to tell people truth, do it. Uh, if you could make people laugh while you're telling them, you could get away with that. But if you don't make them laugh, you, you're in danger. So you're going to jail. Or, or some people don't want to hear the truth. But if right. you make people laugh, you can't do that. So I think you can talk about dark stuff on stage if you make them laugh. Right. You know, and I personally... I think dark humor is necessary. It's important because sometimes people get mad. Some of the subject matter I talk on stage or podcast. Um, but to me, when you meet like police officers, paramedics, doctors, uh, sex assault counselors, um, they use dark humor because without it, they can't continue to do their right. jobs, you know? And I'm sure um, Mr. Clemente being an FBI profilers he probably have to have a not not because they they're insensitive you have to have a sense of humor or else you go mad yeah you that's know? why he, he you know i i did a show at the improv in yeah. hollywood and he saw the show yeah and he tweeted at me he kept tweeting at me then he'd watch my clips and watch my stand-up and come to other shows yeah and I, i'd looked and he said former fbi profiler yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder if this guy's real so i reached out i said come on my podcast and the yeah. first discussion we ever had was on my podcast yeah and he just told me a few things that he couldn't talk about sure. because he said i put a lot of bad people away yeah people, people will come for me uh, he's very honest but he has seen so much you know he was there right after 9-11 cleaning up yeah uh, the remains and, uh, you know, got cancer from that. Yeah. He's seen a lot. He, in, he interrogated the 9-11 uh, terrorist at, at Gitmo. And exactly. He said, I, I need... He comes to my shows all the time. I'm yeah. like, what are you doing? And now he actually comes and he sells my merchandise after the shows. Uh, but he does. He needs that relief. Yeah. So whenever I say something that is... Um, somebody got mad because I made a reference to um, Ghislaine Maxwell. And when she spoke at her uh, sentencing... And um, they, I don't know exactly what I say that upset this person, but she think I was normalizing what Ghislaine was doing. No, no, that's not what I'm doing. Um, it's so horrific. If you have, if 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 you if you have to make some kind of humor to be exposed to this darkness, kind of continue on, you know. And uh, people who complains about this dark humor, they usually not, they don't really do anything. They only complain. But paramedics and pe people who work in those um, field, uh, it's it's the their their willingness to risk their lives, and they work really hard. But that humor is what 
yeah. help them continue on, you know, yeah. because if you don't, it, it, it is a... But Giselle, Giselle, or what is it? How do we say it? Ghislaine? Well, I've been saying Ghislaine. That's Ghislaine, what that's yeah. right. Okay, Ghislaine is a perfect example of, I don't believe if she had never met Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> that she would have acted in that way. I believe that that was sort of the Stockholm Syndrome. Like she fell in love and she was in a cult of Jeffrey Epstein yeah. and became an accomplice and did horrible things. Very horrible things. But I don't think, had she not met him, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I I think, um, well, her father was uh, Robert Maxwell, uh, media tycoon. You know, he he was very domineering and a very difficult um, guy. And probably murdered too. Probably murdered. And um, he was a difficult guy because um, a Jewish person growing up in, I think, former Czechoslovakia, and basically his whole family was uh, wiped out mm. and uh, um, suffered starvation. And, and, and I, I think um, um, I even heard like he was a difficult and, and a kind of miserable person, except uh, there's a few times people caught him watching like a Holocaust documentary and he was watching it desperately hoping to see a footage of his family. Mm. And uh, it's one of the sensitive things for him. And I think because he had a difficult upbringing, he was trying to, I think, toughen up uh, his kids. Unfortunately for Ghislaine, uh, she was born in Christmas in 1961. That week, his favorite son was uh, involved in a car accident. So they neglect her first couple months of her life because they were so concerned with uh, the right. older son. And I think she um, needed her father's approval. So when he passed away, I think Jeffrey Epstein was a substitute father for her. So I think you're right. I think she needed to find somebody to help her. And I'm sure she lived a very entire life. So she needed to find another man who was able to provide her with that kind of lifestyle. So if it wasn't Jeffrey Epstein, it would have been somebody else. And she might have committed different kind of crime whoever she was associated at the time. She just happened to be with uh, Jeffrey. And his his thing was... um, underage girls and i have a little bit of a couple of theories about that personally you know what are those um so my really weird uh theory about uh, jeffrey epstein is that um interesting thing with him and ted bun uh ted uh kaczynski uh by the way bomber you know bomber i went to his um where he used to live lincoln montana i went to his uh, the library that he used to do research and things like that but uh, you're obsessed with murder and um, uh, terrorism, things like that. And by the way, a lot of people are obsessed with murder, but yeah. in a, I'm going to watch Dateline and 48 Hours and documentaries. Sure. But you're you're going to these trials, and I want to talk about that too yeah. after you give this theory, but I want to know, wh- what is that like? Like, how many days did you go to the Ghislaine Maxwell trial? I think I was, I, I think I went 10, 12 days. So- Is it hard to get in? Well, it was height of the COVID, right? So every day there's only eight spots. So four civilians and for four journalists. Well, what happened is when you fill up four journalists, the journalists will pretend like civilians to try to sneak in. Yeah. So every day when I tried to get in, I couldn't get in. So if you you don't get the eight spot, they take you to secondary room where the room looks just like the courtroom in the third floor. Mm-hmm. You're in the first floor at the Southern District Court in New York. The room looks exactly like the actual room with each seat have a TV monitor. So you're sitting down, you're actually hearing and watching the case. Oh. So um, every oh, day I'm going, yeah, and I, I, I will miss. So I got fucking tired of missing. So December 29th, 
I got there like one in the morning. I'm standing in line, and there's a three people ahead of me, and they're professional standing. So they were standing for some other journalists uh, getting paid to do that. Yeah. But I'm broke, so I have uh, to stand in. And um, the lady who was ahead of me uh, when she paid the person to stand in, Julie K. Brown, she's the one who wrote the Miami Herald article that asked the question like, why did Jeffrey Epstein got such a la uh, small punishment for that case in uh, 2007 and eight? That article led to a bunch of people getting fired later on, you know. Wow. Um, so I got in, uh, and I didn't realize at the time um, that that was the day they got the verdict because they were dragging for two, three days. Were you in the actual courtroom with her the day of the verdict? Yes, you were. Yeah, that's the that's the first. What is that like? It's it's pretty crazy because I've been I, I read Jeffrey Epstein article on Vanity Fair, uh, two thousand three. Uh, a lady named Vicky Ward wrote that article. Now they didn't they didn't, they didn't put any of the sexual stuff because um, he threatened the editor of Vanity Fair right. and then Vicky Ward uh, huh. legal repercussion things like that. And I thought, what an interesting article. Then um, when that Miami Herald article was released, I read it. And I was just kind of uh, stunned by how many molestation victims and he, he got waffle punishment right. you know, none of that stuff makes sense so every time i was opening for russell peters in miami i go palm beach and i went to his house um i went to his house in new york city upper east side why because um i don't think it's just enough to read these stories you really have to go to the place that they lived uh, go to local diners where they eat, where they shop. I want to know. I want to get a feel like what the what's it like to live in that You're area. Stalking criminals. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But why? Why do you want to know that much? Why do you want to feel a closeness to a to a horrible person like that? Um, I didn't realize what I was doing. I mean, once again, this kind of stuff was passed down from my dad. You know. Yeah. So maybe it's my way of. Um, Connecting with him. We're connecting with my dad. Like some people have connection with their dad watching baseball games, so they continue on. But, yeah. um, but um, I think, especially like the last four or five years, I, I I've been to seventy countries, uh, you know, and um, I saw so much misery in the world. We're so lucky to live in the United States. I mean, it's unbelievable mm -hmm. how lucky we are to live here. And um, this, that, that poverty and the misery is so terrible. My conclusion is most of the problems stem from super rich people making decisions that's horrible for most average and middle class people, you know. And, and I'm obsessed with uh, Epstein and all the people associated with him because they have so much influence what happened to the middle class and poor people in this country and right. the whole world. And uh, that there was a unwritten rule when the rich people feel obligated to help the poor but that's gone now yeah. you know and um that's why i think when i study gillian and jeffrey epstein you you understand uh, where most of the human misery come from really it's, it's from those people yeah i believe that how are they making decisions that affect us me um i understand most rich people yeah and how that happens so for example Someone like Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, I have no issue, or Michael Jordan. Yeah. They produce goods and service that people like. They make billions because they actually made a yeah. positive impact on the rest of the world. I think problem during the financial crisis when these super rich people made a decision 
brought financial chaos. You see, there's no consequence for those super rich people because when they make such a colossal bet and mistake, yeah. they know that U.S. government will bail them out. And who ended up paying for that bailout? Middle class and poor people. Mm-hmm. But if they make a, a right bet, they make all the money and they reap the benefit from it. Yeah. So they can, the super rich never lose in that. You know, They would throw like guy like Bernie Mehta for symbolic punishment, but there's so many others got away with their... Um, I mean, just this financial... Well, like all the people that went to Epstein's uh, pedophile island. Yeah. When is that going to come out? When's that going to come out? When are those people going on trial or the truth about who went there and may have been involved with pedophilia. When does that come out? Um, or does do the rich people keep that under? I, you know, when, when you work in the sex business I have, and I know a lot of prostitutes and porn stars and they're having sex with tons of super rich people, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes I had a, like a friend's work in newspaper in New York city. They say, Hey, do you have, do you have a hot gossip? Then I was saying like, well, this X, Y, and Z person's doing this. And, He's beating up these female prostitutes, you know? And when I told this one particular story, other side was quiet. And I said, like, are you there? Like, yeah. What, what's going on? Like, well, I work with that person's son. I can't talk about that person. Yeah. And I think what happened is the reason why this is something probably not be talked about, because both liberal and conservative people abuse women and uh, kids, and it's not their interest to talk about it. So I don't mm. think... That's one thing I learned hanging out in Upper East Side that, I mean, this is this is such a terrible thing to say, but you could fuck poor kids, but you cannot fuck with rich people's kids. There's a dire consequence doing that. Wow. So I think Ghislaine and Jeffrey Epstein know that uh, that's why they got away with abusing kids in Palm Beach area. Uh, Upper they East were on the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. They were on one side and on the other side. Oh, New Mexico, kids- where they have a v- more uh, lax rule about uh, registered sex offenders. Or in Paris, I went to his home in Paris too. So, yeah, you, 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 um, just like you know, when serial killers kill prostitutes, nobody fucking give a shit. Right. Or uh, um, gay men back in seventies and eighties, uh, whether they're uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or uh, John Wayne Gacy's, right. the cops never took those victims seriously. You know. Yeah. Um, I think you're on to something. I mean, the rich definitely have way too much. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not claiming all rich, but yeah. there's you know there certain rich people right now there's a guy named jeff staley and uh, leon black they're both bankers they're associate jeffrey epstein they're getting big troubles because they're protecting him you know he's Ep- dead who epstein yes but when he was alive they benefit from a relationship yeah with him. sure do you think he was murdered i mean all the evidence shows that um probably yeah yeah the guards all left and stuff like that i've been having the most bizarre dreams that yeah. include elon musk which I can't figure out because I don't really have dreams. Yeah. But what's, I, your, what's your general opinion about him? Well, I can tell you in the first dream, he knew me yeah. and wanted to take a picture with me and I refused. I didn't want to be in a picture with him. <laughs> right. So that was the first, right? Last yeah. night, yeah. it was, we're in a room of, it was a small number of people. I yeah. only remember him and I was selling merchandise. Yeah. And he came over to buy some of my DVDs of shows. Yeah. And he ended up buying uh, v- VHS tapes what? of my stand-up show. Yeah. But I don't have... I've never sold VHS. I've yeah. only... I've had CDs and DVDs. 
uh, and obviously it's streaming everywhere, but never, but he bought like three VHS tapes that were with homemade labels. Yeah. And I said they're $30 $30 each. And he took four. He took three of those and one CD. And I'd only charged him 30. Right. Now he was fascinated by the technology. I was using like this square where you tap it. He was fascinated by this technology. And I said, I said, here's where we put in the amount. We can put in any amount you want. Think he's going to say like a thousand, fifty, a hundred thousand. Right. Because it'd be nothing to him. He's a fan. Puts in $30 and he taps his card and he goes back to his seat and it never went through. Yeah. And I was just, I was just there like, so bummed that I didn't have Elon Musk. First of all, he had $120 worth of merchandise. Right. I only charged him 30 And, you know, the dream ended with me thinking, do I go up and say... You must have a therapist listen. I'm, I'm curious what it, all that means. I don't know what it means. I don't know. But it's interesting because I don't... Uh, most of the time, if I have a dream and it involves somebody of power yeah. or like a f- famous person in our business and comedy... Uh, we're sitting down having a heart to heart. It's a real yeah. cool conversation. Uh, but this was, he keeps popping in. I don't know if it's because all my videos online, people say I look like Elon Musk, which I don't even, it's, I don't think there's any resemblance. Yeah. Uh, but that's. that's you, you, but you don't hate the guy or anything like that. You, you, I mean, I, I don't know what to think of him. I really don't. Some days I think he's innovative. Other days, I don't know what he's doing. I, I, I you know. I think he's controversial. Yeah. My he's got way person, too much power. You see what he's doing in the Ukraine war where he's he's allowing who gets satellite access yeah. to Wi-Fi and, and that sort of I mean it's that's what the rich can do. And then he didn't even pay for the the, the VHS tapes of mine. <laughs> Yoshi. That's the real crime right that's there. That's the right? real crime. You need to go find out where he eats, where he sleeps, his childhood home. Yeah. You know, read read the article on him in the New Yorker. He's got a fascinating childhood too with for his sure. father. Um oh, talk <laughs> about South it. Africa. Yeah, he grew up in South Africa. What's weird with his father is that he got some girl pregnant, and this is somebody. Elon Musk knows it's really weird situation. He he got somebody, someone pregnant. They're somehow connected to their family or something. It's really strange. Oh, really? Like incest? I don't know. I don't know if it, oh god, some, I'm sorry. I, I, it's been a long time, but I was like, wow, she's. I think she's younger than Elon. You know. Yeah. But um, one more question about Ghislaine. Yeah. What's it like <coughs> to be there in the courtroom for a verdict and seeing somebody's entire life? going away do you see their face is she wearing a mask i i thought she was prototypical british stoic no reaction at all but you know i I think when we got in that morning there was a quick uh meeting with judge nathan the defense prosecution literally a few minutes stopped three hours later a little little before lunch if i remember they they talked for a little bit more and when it hit like 4 30 p.m i was like oh my god i have to come back yeah Again, then around 4.45 p.m., Jeff Nathan showed up. Everybody stood up and said, we have a verdict. And we were just stunned. Cause I, How long had the jury been out for? At that point, three, four days or something like that. Huh. And then everybody returned. And I think she was prosecuted for like six crimes. First one guilty, second innocent. So when she said innocent second, we thought for, I thought for a second... Oh my gosh, she's gonna be found innocent with the everything, rest right. of it. No, she was found guilty except for one thing, mm. 
and uh, no reaction. Then afterwards, um, her two sister and brother spoke. And uh, what was so crazy, they, instead of taking Uber home, they walk home. So we followed them for like 20 minutes. And every, all the reporters are asking. Who'd you follow? Uh, Gillian Maxwell's uh, two older sister and a brother. Wow. They're walking home. And we follow them. And then they were talking. They're very calm. And uh, by the time they got to the apartment, you know, we followed them for 20 minutes. Then seven, eight months later, during the sentencing, um, all the victims spoke. And, you know, I know every one of their stories because I've read them so many times. But it's one thing to read what happened to them, actually see them in person. Yeah. Even though they're mid to late 30s or early 40s. But I couldn't help but see them like teenage girls. Really? Yeah. I thought and, you were going to say the opposite. I mean, I just see them like when they spoke, like what happened to them, that the pain is still there. Especially uh, Annie Farmer, who is younger sister, Maria Farmer. And uh, when she was abused by Epstein, she didn't want to say anything because her older sister, Maria Farmer, is an artist. She didn't want to uh, ruin her older sister's opportunity with the right. Gilang and Epstein. I've said this for years. When people say, well, how come the... Uh Oh, my limited space on my uh, on my my card. I've never seen that before. We talk so long. Um, I when people say, "Well, wh- if this person was assaulted, why didn't they come forward?" That to me is one of the most annoying things it's somebody can say. It's not easy. I can't imagine talking about that too. Um, they're not going to believe you, or you know, sp- speculating all kinds of things like you're imagining things or you're exaggerating and things like that. I mm-hmm. think it's a very difficult to do, and. Um, and I think she was thinking more about her um, older sister. But too, I, th- I think um, when you're young, you don't even, you know, if somebody mugged you, it's clear you, you're a victim yeah. of crime. But I think uh, sexual stuff, it's um, difficult to know what happened to you when you're young. There, but when so many stories line up. Yeah. And, 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 <coughs> and, and um I think because we don't have adequate sex education and uh, uh, financial education, I, 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 I think Jeffrey Epstein is powerful because um, he used sex and money to manipulate people. Yeah. So when he's dealing with other rich people, he used sex. Yeah. And when he's dealing with poor people, he used money to manipulate them, you know? So I think... Um, I think these girls, because they they probably didn't have a proper, you know, think about it for a minute. These are like lower class, single parent home, most likely. Right. A predator thing to know victims as well. And uh, um, if especially, you know, kids know that um, if they know that their ki- uh, parents don't like talking about sex, even if they're a victim of sex, they're not going to talk to their parents. And also in a lot of these communities, they're told that the police are bad. Yes. Yeah. And, and they're not going to help. And you know what's that? When Vicky Ward wrote about article about Jeffrey Epstein 2003 Vanity Fair, they talked to Annie and Maria Farmer. They were, they were ready to release, for whatever reason, editors at Vanity Fair cut that part. So I think Annie and uh, Maria Farmer, yeah. they, they were disappointed. And, and, and that was another reason not to tr- trust Very journalists. Yeah. All right, let's switch to a guy that assaulted women that were rich and powerful, Harvey Weinstein. Um, so that was interesting case because, um, you went to this trial as well. Yeah. It, what was so crazy, uh, I think it's ninth floor of LA County, a court, uh, court building. Mm-hmm. So you go, uh, I think it's ninth or 10th floor. 
soon as you get out of the metal detector on that floor, uh, Harvey Weinstein on right hand side, and Danny Masters on left hand side. So that so same time, they, really, they, they had a two rape cases going on at the same time. Hollywood rape cases. Yeah, and, and and so so you go walking straight. There's a two double doors. They didn't use the big room. That's the room that they used to do O.J. Simpson case, early '90s. So when you go right hand side, Harvey left is uh, uh, Danny Masterson. So during break, when I got out, um, I saw Danny Masterson with his wife standing in the corner taking a break. Ex-wife now. Yeah, and and Harvey was uh, continuing to stay in his room, you know. But um, I was going back and forth between um, two court. I only went like a couple of days, you know. Yeah. Um, but what's it like to see these people? I mean, I I met with Harvey Weinstein. Oh, what was your circumstance? Uh, I find I found him very dismissive, and arrogant, and could care less about me. And uh, you know, I, I I did a project with them. I think. Um, and it's uh, great Russell, he's in jail because I can say it. <laughs> Russell Peters said the same thing. He was yeah. very very dismissive, and um... we're not his type. Well, remember the theory thing that I was talking to you a minute ago? Yeah. Um, I have no academic credentials. I'm just speculating. But right. both Ted Kaczynski and Jeffrey Epstein were, um, they skipped grades, a bunch of grades, especially like uh, Kaczynski, you know, five grades. So imagine for a second, well, in Japan, we think that's like child abuse mm-hmm. because you might be smart, but um, you're not really emotionally ready to deal with older kids. Yeah. So imagine if you're a 12-year-old kid in senior uh, year in high school, yeah. like Ted Kaczynski was, what girl's going to talk to you or hang out or go out with you? They're not going to. So no, he, no, nobody wants to date the bomb maker. Yes. <laughs> so I think what happened, Ted never learned to connect with women. Um, and I think this is like a long-time problem. And in fact... Because he was not able to make connection with women, there was a point Ted Kaczynski thought about becoming a woman too. Oh. And uh, because never he never had that. a fulfilling uh, uh, love life, when I read some of the he things... He also lived in a cabin in the woods. That yeah. doesn't help. But when I read some of the things he written, when he was bombing people, that was his orgasm. Right. And I think Jeffrey Epstein skipped a couple grades. So I think he graduated from high school when he was 16. I think... Did he go you're... to Harvard? I thought he went to Harvard. Jeffrey Epstein. No, no. When he was uh, graduating from high school, he oh. graduated a little. So, okay, he gra- Yeah, it was. He yeah. excelled. Got it. Got I, it. I, I think because he was so much younger than um, the senior class, I don't think he learned to connect with the women his age. So when he was teaching at Dalton, when he was a teacher there, hmm. he was interacting with these young girls. I think that was the first time this thing became his like a signature thing where yeah. he's obsessed with young girls. You know. Um, but it so, must be so, weird so, to be in the courtroom with these people. Yeah. Right? That's what I want to get at. Like, what is it like to be around? They're clearly criminals, both of them. Yeah. Are you just staring at the back of their heads? Do you get anything from their body movement? Do you are you disgusted by them? I, I'm I, I'm disgusted what they did, and uh, I'm angry at them. But it was strange that when I was sitting behind the courtroom for Harvey, I, I, I hate to say this, but I kind of feels bad for the guy i know he's a bad guy he did terrible things but he looks so lost and powerless now you know and i don't condone what he did the reason why i'm so curious about what led to them behaving this way i think the primary reason why i'm interested because 
you only have to you have to punish them and deal with what happened to those victims but also how how do we prevent this from happening you know yeah. and and something must happen to him when he's a child to behave this way you know and um and because i work in sex business i meet some of the porn stars and sex workers and like when you get to know them um they they're 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 in porn because they're in the fantasy business but when you get to them as a person people mm -hmm. um things are more complicated because they have to pretend like they're whores and sluts. Yeah. Interesting. And we're going to get into like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to have you back because we have to talk about that part of your life. You bringing porn to the tonight yeah. show for actors like Seth Rogen. Yeah. And you've so many unbelievable stories. We're just running out of time here. Uh, I just want to make one point. Yeah, please uh, do. All these things have one thing in common, whether they're serial killers, they're, they're terrorists, they're business people. Um, making these financial decisions that, that, that have a devastating impact on everyone else. Um, and Sam Bankman-Fried, he, he had a similar thing too. This all stemmed from fantasy. See, the, the problem is they have, there's a fantasy issues that they're, they're problem. And they're in all in fantasy business, you know. But we all are, but we don't steal people's money, murder people, sexually assault them. How do some people know not to do that? I think some forms, some small fantasy are necessary. You know, if, if you're some guy in Cleveland, you have a, uh, you're like a blue collar worker, yeah. you're working really hard, things are not going well. It's okay to have a little fantasy. Hey, you know, if, if I make a little bit of money, I go yeah. to Vegas, meet, yeah. meet a hot girl, have a good time. That's fine. But when you start talking about uh, serial killer with their fantasy because why do they keep murdering people because their fantasies are vivid when they they when reenact the actual thing in life it's yeah. never good as fantasy so they keep killing people like BTK uh, you know Dennis Rader he had this such an incredible vivid fantasy a bondage and things like that and uh, these billionaires also have a fantasy of making a world yeah. a better place and uh, Sam Bankman Freak he really had a fantasy of creating so much wealth that he could bring so much good to well, the that's, world. That's what I just read this article in the New Yorker yeah. and it's the October 2nd, uh, 2023 issue. And what Sam Bankman Fried was doing was he was trying to make money and he was giving it all away. Yes. So he was altruistic. He was he had this of, fantasy making a world a better place. Yeah. But he just went about it wrong. And his mom said this, let me tell you, yeah. I think I, I want to know. I, this, saw, I saw both of the parents. Yeah. Uh, do you yeah. think that they were complicit I don't think they knew what was going on, but now I think they're a little nervous because Sam used their money to buy them properties and things like that. Yeah. So, but they're so smart. They're Stanford professors. They're in accounting and all this sort of stuff. His mom said this, and this, this, I don't know. We'll see what you said. Uh, the reporter said, I asked whether she had ever felt compelled to ask her son if he had done any of the things he'd been charged with. She replied, no, she didn't need to ask. Her son was incapable of dishonesty or stealing, she said. Sam will never speak an untruth, she went on. It's just not him. Huh. I, You know, I, this is something like you probably should talk to your friend, Mr. Clemente, because profiling. But um, based on what I read, it does seem like maybe he was a little naive about the whole thing, you know. But you're right. I think someone like Bernie Madoff who got away if they didn't have financial crisis started you know because yeah. he was getting away for so many years and i i don't know i do know that when i was sitting there when they had a second uh uh person testifying against him 
they were talking about, you know, he this person represented one of the institution, and they, I think he ended up investing sixty million in yeah. uh, FTK. And then the prosecution later asked, like, how much are you worth now? And he said zero. And I'm just sitting, you know, sixty million out of ten billion that disappeared is nothing, but still. It's just shocking. Like everybody just took a matter of fact. Like sixty million is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. You, you could do a lot of social good, you know. And um, in the article, they kept describing he was wearing an oversized suit. I there was this uh, video clip I saw once. He was talking to roomful of people and their financial analysts or something. They were mm-hmm. talking and they're talking about the FDK's uh, business. He started playing video games. Yeah. While having this conversation with him. Yeah. And everybody starts saying, oh, he, he's a mad genius. You know, that's why. He, but I was thinking like, why does that make him genius when somebody's talking about <laughs> their money being invested? Yeah. Yeah. And I think looking back, there, you know, I went, I also went to Elizabeth Holmes sentencing and they, they seemed like a financial market need to make prodigy man child or uh, uh like, yeah. like they just like steve jobs of the world yeah. and they just buy into it so they just assume they're genius they must be doing everything right yeah it's interesting so they don't really question them you know and um but when he was playing video games i thought oh my god how can you put money in this guy he's not even taking this seriously yeah. but once the entire media proclaim you as king of something they don't really question you. And I think that's really dangerous. That uh, Well, that's what happened with Elizabeth Holmes. Just one person believed in her. So if that person believes in her, then everybody must believe in her. And it just goes on and on and on. She was able to seduce George Shultz, former Secretary right. of State. That's the one. And and because you seduce one person, he will tell others like Henry Kissinger and other important people. Right. And they figure like, well, if if this important person is saying to trust this person, they did. There's one person that Elizabeth Holmes can seduce. It was Warren Buffett. Because he does due diligence and look at yes. the balance sheets and uh, she didn't give him enough information. So, What's amazing is that yeah. she never had a product that worked and no. got that far. Like not even close. It was like, it might have been a tissue box. And Henry Kissinger, who dealt with all the tyrants and most difficult and uh, evil people in the planet, uh, he was terrified of Elizabeth Holmes. Isn't that interesting? Keith? What was she like in person? When she walked out by, um, seemed gregarious, tall, yeah. good-looking, professional, um, you know what was another interesting thing about the, uh, her verdict was um, that the um, jurors were there, and, and they don't—it's not necessary for them to show up, but they showed up. I swear, one third of women who were jurors are good-looking, blonde, well-dressed, and they showed up for some reason. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And um, where, where were they? They weren't in the San jury Jose. box, but were they in the in, in the, the courtroom? In, in the courtroom, yeah. I never heard of that before. They were all good-looking women. Um, that is so strange. But Elizabeth Holmes was able to seduce those men, powerful men. And the reason why I'm interested in her and Ghislaine, because those two women understand how these powerful rich men think and behave. Inter- they yeah. really know them. Yep. So if these men are causing a lot of problems, if you get to know these women, you probably could figure out what's going on. What are you going to do with all this information that you've gathered? Why aren't you um, using this to write a book or do a podcast? Why aren't you? You're going there. You're doing all this stuff. Why aren't you doing a podcast from the courthouse? I, I think if I do something like that, I probably need a partner who, um, hopefully a woman, hopefully somebody smart and good looking. Yeah. Well, why does she have to be good looking? Well, I mean, you know, it's a show business part demands it, yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> but um, I just have all this idea, but I don't really, I, I need somebody with academic background kind of um, 
see if, if I'm going with the right direction, you know? Yeah. Going back and forth. But um, in last this year, I, I went to Scotland and did 22 shows at uh, Edinburgh Fringe Fest, you know? Right. I did a show called Adult Content, kind of talk about my 25-plus years in adult business. Yeah. And um, there's some funny part, but I think I think a few people that showed up, they were kind of stunned because it's, it's all the really weird terrible and wonderful things i learned in that business you know yeah and uh, i'd like to keep doing that show next year at the different french festival but i'm adding more of these uh real examples so um it'd be more enticing for people to want to see the show but beyond that i'm not really sure what to do because I, I i um give example my uh um last year and a half i've been helping my friend kareem in washington dc he's writing a book about um sexual proclivities of terrorists and uh, he's covering seven terrorists mm. and he's um, academic well you need a pervert to catch a pervert so I'm, I'm that portion when I'm talking to him because you consider yourself a pervert I mean I'm a pervert with a lowercase p but oh. but the, these perverts with capital P's are causing all kinds of problems yeah. in the world and I think because sex and money is a difficult thing to talk about yeah. they, they kind of thrive in the world and uh when I talked to Kareem about this, um, because he never worked in that world or dealt with other sex workers, yeah, um, it's really interesting. And when you um, have access to, um, for example, I um, I know. Uh, do you know Terry Nichols? No. Terry Nichols was one of the two Oklahoma. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, God, there's I'm, so many of these criminals. How can we keep track of them? Um, I'm friend with his son, Joshua Nichols. Huh. Uh, and uh, I met his... What does he think of this whole thing? Um, well, he's, he's back in prison. So um, Terry Nichols is or the son? Son is. Oh. Well, imagine two days up to uh, Oklahoma City bombing, FBI showed up, they pick you up, and you're not allowed to go back to school. Ever since you're 10, 11 years old, you've yeah. been shamed because your father did something and you had nothing to do with that. Do you feel a connection to him because of that? little bit um i feel bad for him and i also feel bad for um, btk killer's daughter because one time she mentioned like imagine if you're a son of oklahoma city bombing and yeah. um those two people only they would know what it's like to be that person just like if you're hollywood stars kids you have a disproportionate advantage in life yeah they have a disproportionate disadvantage in life yeah. you know yeah. the reason that reason i mentioned um terry nichols because i met his ex-wife and I find her very interesting, but I don't really know her to ask these questions that I really want to ask. Right. I want to know. I want to know their sex lives, because when you have access to serial killers or um, terrorists or these uh, billionaires committing these terrible financial decisions, I want to know their sex lives because it reveals a lot about them as really? a person. Yeah. I want to talk about all that on a future podcast, but what I suspect is, yeah. and it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning, you feel this sense of shame that your father didn't stand up to your his step your stepmother, yeah. didn't stand up to your mother, possibly committed suicide, and you feel this kinship with these children of serial killers or bombers yeah. because they feel feel that shame they feel shame but also um these topics are so shameful i i think some of them could have prevented 
if you're ever to talk, like even like um, I was in Philadelphia recently. I, I asked my friend to drive me to Bill Cosby's house. He didn't、oh. want to do that, but yeah, I wouldn't drive you there. Um, I wonder sometimes why Cosby did that. He's from that generation. Talking about sex is shameful and embarrassing. I wonder he has a sexual dysfunction. He's a rapist because he's not able to function normally. Maybe he needed to knock these girls out. You know,、uh, I'm not. I'm not saying that's the case. I just wonder, like, when these people are doing because they have a sexual dysfunction and 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 and. Really weird fantasy problems. They ended up doing terrible thing instead of doing a healthy route, you know. And I think, I think, I think the unhealthy route is what they want. I think that. You think so? I do. I do. I think it's a power thing. Oh、yeah. sure, power. Yeah, I mean, if Bill Cosby said to women, "Hey, I want to knock you out and have sex with you," they they wouldn't do it. It's it's trying to get away with something. I think, yeah, because he had enough money to hire people to pretend to be knocked out, but that's not what it is. That's not what it is. Yeah, my my guest today is Yoshi Obayashi. Obayashi, you got it, you got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you're fascinating. I I really do. And, and just tell me quickly, like, what are you doing now? Where can people find you? Tell me about your stand up. Um, just... I don't really have anything to promote. Um, I I, I want to do um the French Fest in in Edinburgh next year. Hopefully, more people show up. Maybe one in Iceland, and I think I'm going to visit one in、uh, Adelaide, Australia. But my immediate、uh, short term plan is um keep doing other people's pod and doing shows. Um, but um, this Karin Sarajapur, he is Iranian foreign policy expert. I'm really excited about his book. I've been talking to him last year and a half, two years, about sexual proclivities of terrorists. You know, and、uh, I think these guys want to bring Islamic paradise to earth. But when you look at their background, they have a very complicated issue with their、uh, women, their parents, mothers,、yeah. and、uh, sexual problems. You know, and I, I wonder. Where does religious belief start and the real problem? The real way that don't、yeah. get yourself killed. Yeah, that's all I have to say. Do you have a website?、Uh, AdultContent69.com. Jeez, a- boy, you're right in there, huh? What about、uh, social media?、Uh, Yoshio Bash at Instagram. I don't have、But、anything. Can spell that for crying、oh. out loud. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're you're so interesting. You really you're you're fascinating. Thanks for.、Uh, I, I, I would have you back. Did you enjoy this conversation? Oh yeah,、um, I. I used to see you walk around. I didn't really want to bother you, you know. But uh,、um, I, I w- enjoy watching your show. My friend Cole Young,、uh, I think he worked with you with Russell Peters like a month ago, and he 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 said nothing but great things about you and、oh, learned you. a lot during、uh, stand up with you. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I'm completely different than you. I'm not controversial. I'm you know I'm talking about、uh, yeah. fabric softener、yeah. or little things like that. Whereas you're going in a different direction. But you know, laughter is laughter, and we need to. You know, I I believe in escape. Through pointing out the small things, and、yeah. you're addressing with with courage, talking about your life. I I, I commend you for that. Well, and Ricky Gervais always said, like, if you're going to do any show, write a show,、uh, talk about things you know. And、yeah. uh, I think I worked a lot with Jim Norton, David Tell, and I think when you work with them, you know, there's a bit of an edge and yeah, a little bit of、so. darkness.、There's, yeah, 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 yeah. More than me. I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks, I, I really enjoyed it,、yeah. and I and I appreciate you being open. And I could see viscerally in your eyes something、yeah. happening when you're talking about your dad. And、yeah. I, it wasn't my intention. Oh no, no, I don't. I don't feel a certain way. I, I it, it doesn't it bother me to talk about it. Sometimes people feel bad hearing it, but it doesn't bother me. You know. Um,、right. But um, yeah, we. I'm I'm blessed to live in the states. 
and uh, I met so many interesting, but also sometimes terrible people, and they really fascinate me. You know, like, how did this happen? You know, why did they behave the way they do? And uh, your incredible guest, Mr. Clement, I'm sure I really enjoyed listening to you guys talk. Thank you. It's he's so great. Well, I'm going to make him listen to this, and I'm going to come up with questions for the next time I have you on. He he's like a John Madden of a. Psychopath. He does give you X and O, and you you talking to him. It's a fun conversation. Well, thank you. When he's talking about difficult subject matters, you know. Well, thank you. I want to let him know his birthday was. Uh, well, I can't say. Yeah. Actually, I can't say anything personal about him yeah, because yeah. it can lead to people yeah. finding out uh, information. Uh, I want to thank you, Yoshi, uh, uh, for coming on episode ninety five. What's wrong with Orny Adams? Thank you, Ernesto Hurtado, for uh, mastering and getting up this audio. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, the people that are supporting my Patreon. You'll see this video will be up in a couple of days or maybe even tomorrow the audio will be up t- tonight that's how fast ernesto works there's nothing wrong with you is that it, is that it? <laughs> put, not- put in the camera and say that say there's nothing wrong with orny adams there's nothing wrong with orny adams i love you're it fantastic dude. oh you're you're amazing your podcast is doing really good things oh well thank you i appreciate it thanks everybody if you want to email me what's wrong at ornyadams.com <laughs> keep in touch and we'll have you back for sure thanks man dude, thank, thank you, you.